0: Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel.
1: You are listening to the Trek Ranks Podcast, a member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. This is episode 11, featuring the top five epic arcs. Welcome, Star Trek fans. I am Jim Morehouse, and I am the host of the Trek Ranks Podcast right here on the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. And as always, I'm being joined tonight by the founder of that very same network, Mr. Jeff Hewlett. Welcome, Jeff. You out there?
2: Thank you once again, Mr. Morehouse. I am super excited about the two guests you are about to announce.
1: Yes, yes. And we are excited about tonight's topic, which is Star Trek's top five epic arcs which is actually an epic arc unto itself because this is our second of three consecutive episodes dedicated to the return of Star Trek to television with the launch of Star Trek Discovery in I think just about 28 hours from the time that you will hear this podcast, which is uh, pretty exciting. So last week we did the top five Klingon episodes because Discovery is going to be prominently featuring Klingons as we know. And tonight we are doing epic arcs because Discovery is also going to be featuring basically a one-season-long arc across its 15-episode first season. I cannot wait for this. And to carry forward our theme of epic arcs, we have some very, very special guests joining us tonight. Also, another bit of an epic arc, as Trek Ranks has, again, featured prominently on their podcast, that's right stepping down from the Trek podcasting throne to join the riffraff down here at the lowly Trek ranks. We have the one and only, this intro is way too long. We're going to, we're going to finish it off. Anyway, we have Bill Smith and Dan Davidson, the Trek geeks on the show tonight, Bill and Dan, are you there? Are you still with us?
3: Thank you, thank you, thank you for having us. It is a joy to be here. Although when you said coming down from the podcast throne, we thought for sure you meant Heather and Claire. So we're just excited we're still here. (laughs) Um,
4: This is the day I have been waiting for my whole life, and I I might. Wow, I'm just so honored to be on your show, Jim.
2: Finally, thank you. All the podcasters,
1: (laughs) you guys are honored to be on the show before I actually stop doing it. (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> well and it didn't take a while it, it was a, a great run so great run so congratulations <laughs> yes
1: thanks guys it's been fun it's been good all right so before we get rolling on tonight's topic let's get a quick trek origin story from our trek geeks what's the quick uh you know i think people guys guys know from your podcast if you've listened and you should if you haven't there you guys's background but what about the trek geeks background how did the podcast come about Dan, do you want to tell the story? Because I tell it all the time.
4: Oh, you tell it so much better than I do, man.
3: Okay, so I'll, <laughs> I'll try to go for the Reader's Digest version because we got a, we got a lot of arcs to, to talk about, and I'm really excited. Right. Um, I uh, I I had the idea to do a podcast sometime around I think 2014. And Dan and I hadn't seen each other in quite a while. I we went to a Star Trek convention in Boston. First time we'd been in the same room in about a decade. And we had such a great time and we laughed and carried on like no time had gone by. And I said, hey, buddy, we should do a podcast. He's like, uh, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. What's a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's how Trek yep. Geeks was born. Um, uh, Dan saying no. And uh, after that, I, I slowly worked on him and, and introduced him to other podcasts because I still don't think he had listened to one at that point. And. Then he realized that our discussions for Trek, which happened every single day, um, made us both laugh and, and there was something to it. So yeah. out of that, we decided to take a chance and Trek Geeks was born. How's that for a condensed version, Dan?
4: I like that. I like that version. One of the things that we love to tout about the podcast is that is that it's Star Trek discussion, but the whole podcast is built around the friendship that we've had for so many years, and that's what makes it so much fun to do. You know, it's hard enough that I have to listen to Bill's voice on a regular basis, but to be able to talk about Star Trek and have that kind of chalk uh, chalkboard nails down the chalkboard thing
1: kind of makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, I thought you guys hated each other. Oh Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> no, seriously, it's it, it, I, whatever mojo you guys have conjured up. It's it's just an essential listen. If you're a Trek fan, the insights and the camaraderie. It for me, it just it screams what we love about Star Trek. So even when you even when you're slagging off some of my favorites, which you guys do a lot. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Not doing that tonight, though. Not tonight. Not tonight. Well, we'll see. All right, so before we get into the diagnostic cycle, let's just do another quick Trek Ranks Reset. And as you know, that begins with...
5: Infinite diversity. In infinite combinations.
1: All right, so if you're joining us for the first time, that was wise old Vulcan master us that Trek Ranks has no wrong answers. That's what we're all about here. So just a reminder that, you know, this podcast is about all the reasons we love Star Trek. We're not here to kind of nitpick it. We use uh, the rankings as our crutch just to have a fun conversation and try and think about Trek in some different ways than maybe you've uh, thought about it before. We love it all here. We love the Kelvin timeline. We love TOS all the way through to Enterprise. And in about 28 hours... Discovery will be part of the Trek Ranks lore as well. So it's all fair game here on the Trek Ranks podcast, right, guys? Absolutely. You got it. All right. So, Jeff, before we get started, let's fire up the subspace transfer array. Let our listeners know how they can hail us.
0: Hailing frequencies are open.
2: Sure thing, Jim. So, if you're looking for the show, you can find us at com and at TrekRanks. on Twitter. And if you're not, we'll give you this number again at the end of the show if you can't write it down now. If you want to leave us a voicemail with your own picks, the number is 609-512-LLAP. And I am Warp Factor Jeff on Twitter if you're looking for me. Back to you, Jim.
1: All right. And just to emphasize again what Jeff was saying, this show is definitely better when we hear from you. So we love to uh, hear your list. We love to read your list. See them on Twitter and and Facebook, which I'm not on, but uh, I'm on Twitter. So that's how to get a hold of me. You can reach me at Enterprise Extra and at TrekRanks. So send us your list so we can uh, include them in our overall count and um, share them with other fans. All right. So I think uh, I think most people would know, but Dana Bill, tell everyone how they can get a hold of you guys.
3: Um you can find me on Twitter at TrekGeekBill. Bill. This is obviously Bill and uh TrekGeeks.com. You know, we're pretty much Trek Geeks on everything. And um, and Dan, you can take it from there
4: Yes, uh, mine is a very complicated uh, Twitter handle It is at Dan. So uh, shoot me some info over at that uh, lovely location
1: uh, I'm on Facebook as well uh, You know, Jim, when are you going to go to Facebook, dude? I don't know, someday Someday, I <laughs> just can't figure it out It's just like it's completely foreign to me Facebook is know. hard
3: It is hard It's like
1: math I literally can't figure it out All right Let's get Jordy on the comm system and fire up a level one diagnostic.
5: Diagnostic cycle will be complete in 20
2: seconds.
1: All right. Top five epic arcs. Let's do this. Let's first, let's, I mean, let's start by, we're going to talk a little bit about discovery and just quickly about what, we, what we're, what are we excited about or not, if that's your thing, hopefully that's not the case with, with our guests, but we're about to see a 15 part season long arc It's going to be real different. So I'm just wondering what you guys think, you know, what appeals to you about that story, that storytelling structure, or maybe doesn't appeal to you.
4: I'll jump in on that one first, I guess, guys. Um, For me, uh, one of the things that's always great about these shows is the character uh, development. And I was listening to an interview uh, with Doug Jones the other day, and he was talking about Saru and Burnham and how they're kind of going nose to nose at each other all the time. And for me, that's what I'm looking for in this arc is that character development, because it sounds to me that they're already going to be similar to the Spock McCoy from TOS and the Odo Quark from DS9. So having those two, uh, officers constantly going at it with the sarcasm and the, and the, um, uh, butting of heads is something that I'm really looking forward to. It's a small thing in regards to a character arc or a story arc, but it's something that I'm really looking forward to seeing.
3: You know, uh, my my problem with discovery is that every time I start to look forward to something, they keep showing us something new and then I'm looking forward to that even more. So, so far I am looking forward to every facet of this, but mainly I, I can't wait to see how this is Star Trek in its DNA you know David Mack was on Twitter saying that this absolutely squares with canon and it absolutely is Star Trek and I can't wait to see how they tie it all in and still create something fresh and new and bold.
1: Yeah, that was a great thread from David Mack this week about uh, oh yeah. about the, the 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 canon and just telling people to be patient and see how it all plays out. How about you Jeff? Anything in terms of kind of what you've been Thinking about looking forward to in terms of this new st- storytelling structure that uh, Discovery is t- undertaking.
2: Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, this this has been a, a trend in television uh, for a while, and it's streaming television shows for a while. And you know, I I, I do love a, a long arc. You know, I, I was a big Walking Dead fan for a while. I've kind of fallen out with it, but um, you know, I, I have to look back to shows like Battlestar Galactica. And that was, what, a, a four or five season long story arc that just kept going and yeah. going. And uh, that was one of the most brilliant sci-fi shows I've ever seen. And uh, I, I hope that Discovery has the same type of a format and uh, shoots to do the same type of a thing. So I think the precedent has been set. I think people are ready for it. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Trek told in that, in that type of a way. I, I think that, you know, we, we're used to seeing Trek in short arcs. You know three four episodes tops um so this is going to be a big shift and uh i'm definitely going to be riding that wave so uh i'm ready for it and i know we're all ready for it so
1: yeah i i've been i mean from my end i've been dreaming about this for about i guess about 15 years i mean since even when enterprise is in production where you've yeah. got to see you got to see some glimpses of it with season three and there's in arc and some of the awesome mini arcs from season four but you know, since TV started to be redefined in the early 2000s, I've thought about what it would be like for for Star Trek to get that kind of treatment, where you have the strong budget, and and I and the key is the reduced, you know, episode numbers to have a little bit tighter storytelling, like The Sopranos and Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones and this these type of shows. So, for me, that that this is happening and it's uh, that's going to be the the structure for Trek. I cannot wait to see how it plays out. Love it.
4: Hey Jim, I wanted to jump in on one other quick thing in regards to the uh, to the season, if I could, because Jeff just just mentioned something which made me think of it. Uh, Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, all of these amazing yep. shows that have been coming out recently. A lot of these shows now have the no one is safe and anyone could die at any given moment. I'm that's one thing I'm a little scared about with this series because. Me too it's popular and we're going to get attached to these characters and people are going to die on the show. It's, it's inevitable. And it's kind of something that I'm a little nervous about. Um, I just wanted to throw that out
1: there. I'll tell
2: you that is exactly the reason, the number one reason I fell out with walking dead because they, they actually came out and said that point blank that no one is safe. And I'm like, well, you know what, if no one's safe, what am I investing in here? Mm, right. You know, because you, you get involved with these characters and that's with these long story arcs, just like Battlestar Galactica, I invested in certain characters that I've really liked. And, you know, in, in my heart of hearts, I knew they weren't going to die. Right. But, you know, if, if everyone has the potential to be, um, you know, ejected from the show, which has happened on Walking Dead, you know, I just kind of fell out with it because I just don't feel like it's worth my, you know, emotional time to invest in those characters.
1: Yeah, me too. As long as they never kill Glenn, I'm okay with it. Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) All right.
3: Uh, (laughs) Too soon. soon. Spoiler Spoiler
1: alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler (laughs) alert. Don't listen to this. But uh, no, Dan, it's actually a great point. It's something I think if you're paying attention, you're at least aware of or it's in the back of your mind, but I hadn't thought about it too much. Actually, you know, it's funny. The way I think about it has been in terms of production, and I hate that my mind is thinking this way, but I'm like, all right, they're filming like episode 12 right now and Lorca's still there. So, (laughs) all right. You know, that kind of thing because uh, he's clearly still there. So it is going to be interesting to see if they pull the trigger on something big, on somebody they've been promoting. Uh, And you got to think that's going to happen. You got to think that's in play for this. Bill, what about you?
3: I agree 100%. You know, I, I echo some of Jeff's sentiment. I, too, fell out of The Walking Dead, you know, for for many of the same reasons. You know, when I watch a show that that is that, you know, lengthy and has been on that long, you really do get invested with those characters. And, you know, there's something of yourselves in them. It's, you know, You identify with them. And then one of them or <laughs> multiple characters go out at various times. It takes a lot out of you. And I think part of the reason we watch Star Trek is to go on this journey with the crew. You know the, they are us, and we are boldly going with them. And uh, I I totally understand where Dan's coming from. It's it's a concern, but by the same token, I want them to kind of turn Star Trek storytelling on its ear a little bit while still staying yep. true to the the core and the soul of Star Trek.
1: Yep, that's you. don't want to take any easy shortcuts with that. You need they need to. The, it may hurt, but you gotta. Right. I think that's going to be part of the price we have to pay for this new new level of storytelling that's that's coming our way
3: and I, I think we'll i think we'll all be pleased you know i, I think we'll I, all, I think we'll i think there'll be all the feels but um i think at the end when we look at season one we're gonna go man that was an amazing season and i think we'll be even more amped for season two
1: yeah listen so as long as deep space nine never kills jed zia i'm okay with it right oh 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 so sorry spoiler. wow sorry <laughs> Okay, let's uh let's jump into the prime directive and see what everyone's uh what the criteria how how everybody approached this for this such a broad topic that we've got going on.
5: <laughs> I do not concur with your captain's
0: decision. She's following our prime directive.
5: Define prime directive.
1: Alright, so the truth is in an epic arc, it's it's really truly in the eye of the beholder, which by the way is a terrible TNG episode. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, <laughs> I think at this point, you know, an arc, when you define an arc, it can be anything as big as the Zindi season in Enterprise or as small as the the RISA arc in Enterprise, which which I love because uh I'm only mentioning it because Fark in the last episode, of the Klingon episode, when I asked him, hey, we'll pick think about arcs, that's gonna be the next episode. Think do you have one that you could think of that's maybe a smaller one? And that's the one he came up with, which I think is hilarious. It's like barely mentioned in two episodes where the crews kind of gets distracted on their way to, to Ryza before they finally get there. So uh, nice, nice choice, Mark. Uh Anyway, an art can be big. It can be small. It can be character driven, story driven. It can literally be anything. So I'm thinking we're probably not going to have too many duplicates tonight, maybe some similarities, but, but probably no dead on duplicates. So uh, Bill and Dan, tell us what, what was your kind of, how did you narrow down your picks? Go ahead, Bill. Well,
3: uh- Okay, I'll uh, I'll go first. I um you know, maybe it's the result of being a podcaster and and looking at Trek a little more critically at times like Dan and I have done, but you know, I thought it was also smart for me to focus on the journeys of the characters rather than just specific story arcs. You know, I wanted to also select arcs that specifically weren't the Dominion War because it is, you know, so epic and sweeping and and in my mind, it's probably the, the grandest arc in all of Trek and probably the best executed one. So I wanted to find things that spoke to me uh, as a viewer, that um, you know, journeys that I enjoyed through Star Trek, and especially you know, journeys of characters. So uh, I've got a little bit of a mix of some stuff, so I, uh, I'm looking forward to telling you guys all about it.
1: All right. How about you, Dan?
4: Yeah, I went along similarly with Bill in terms of character. I think that was the one that stood out to me the most. I like the arcs that really dive into a character and we get the background and what's really going on in their head. That's something that really spoke volumes to me when putting together my list. Um, But also uh, I wanted to choose the arcs that I just just love to watch and never get bored of, as well as the ones that make me think about how unbelievable – the writers of Star Trek have been over the years, their imagination, their ability, and and desire to take chances and gamble on a storyline and have it succeed in ways that they never thought possible. And that's what I think of with my five arcs.
1: All right. I love that. that it's really good. So mine, uh, I started, to, I, again, as always, started with a, just a long brainstorm list. and I And I kind of saw that they were breaking up into like, Bill was saying that you actually both said was some of them were character arcs, some were more story arcs. And then I started to think what's too broad and what's too narrow trying to find a little bit of the sweet spot in the middle there. So, I mean, I'll give you one example of something I was considering. And it's obviously one of Trek's amazing arcs, but I ended up not choosing it because in some ways it was a little too big and broad. It was like, I was thinking I had written down like Cisco's arc in, in accepting that he was the emissary and I love that story. But then I thought, it doesn't really fit because it's really the entire—that's Cisco's entire character from episode one to the end. So I wasn't sure if that made sense. So I kind of eliminated that. I eliminated Nog as one of my picks because again he was there at the beginning and at the end. So I tried to make it a little bit more where you can get your arms around it, a little bit more definable. Nothing quite like Bill said. Nothing quite as big as like hey the Dominion War arc, but stuff that uh, was just a little bit a uh, little bit tighter. So, but of course you know. If either of those that I mentioned are on your list, that's awesome because that's what Trek Ranks is all about. So, uh, okay, so we got our prime directives. So, before we introduce Third Remodiclon, let's uh let's just do a quick update again on how we're going to go through this. We're going to first reveal our epic arc. And we're also going to pick one episode that we think best represents that arc. It's normally kind of how we do it. So, we have an episode to represent it. And then we'll give our five word summary and a hashtag which Bill and Dan know well. We love that. And then we can talk about the arc and the episode and some of the elements about it. So you guys ready to roll? Let's do this. All set, man. All right. Let's do this. Third demonic You are up.
5: I am a Jem'Hadar. He is a Vorta. It is the order of things.
1: Okay. The top five Star Trek epic arcs. We're going to have Bill go first. Otherwise, I know if he was going after Dan, he'd just rip all of his picks. So we don't want (laughs) to, we don't want him to do that. So we're going to throw to Bill and then Dan. And as he does sometimes, Jeff is not making picks this week. So, which I'm kind of bummed about because I think Jeff, uh, I think I actually, you know what I should have done, Jeff, is create a list for you so you could just rattle off arcs that I know these guys hate like <laughs> you could be like this hey the Sela arc or oh. the the traveler arc that or was, all of star trek oh.
2: voyager <laughs> actually jim i thought about doing an arc that would bother you i was
1: going to do the oh. harry mud arc that included a tas episode oh no <laughs> that would have been that, that would have worked that would have bothered me okay so then we're going to end with some secondary system picks so let's get up and going with Bill's number five pick.
3: Thank you, sir. As you said, coming in at number five, my uh, my fifth ranked arc is Eddington versus Cisco, one of my favorite arcs in all of Star Trek. I think it's best represented for me by Deep Space Nine season five, episode thirteen, for the uniform. My five words are greatest middle act in Trek. hashtag Sometimes I like it when the bad guy wins.
0: The Maquis are scrambling their transport ships. They're starting to evacuate. Do you realize
5: what you've done? I've only just begun. I'm going to eliminate every Maquis colony in the DMZ. You're talking about turning hundreds of thousands of people into homeless refugees. That's right. When you attacked the Malinche, you proved one thing, that the Marquis have become an intolerable threat to the security of the Federation, and I am going to eliminate that threat. But think about those people you saw in the caves. Huddled and starving, they didn't attack the Malinche. You should have thought about that before you attacked a Federation starship. Helm, lay in a course for tracking two warp six. Commander, prepare two more torpedoes. Engineer, general, print. Set zero, course 050 on torpedoes nine. three and four. Can't you see what's happening to you? You're going against everything you claim to believe in. And for what? To satisfy a personal vendetta? You betrayed your uniform! And you're betraying yours, right now! The sad part is you don't even realize it. I feel sorry for you, Captain. This obsession with me, look what it's cost you. Major, shut that thing off! Commander Worf, prepare to launch torpedoes! Wait! If... you call off your attack, I'll turn over all our biogenic weapons. Not enough! (sighs) All right, Javert. I'll give you what
3: you want. Me? Cisco is uh, Cisco mortgages everything he is as a Starfleet officer to go after Eddington, rules be damned, everything else be damned. He poisons a planet for God's sake, just to try to get this guy, and loses. And I think it's it's a great highlight of what this arc is about.
1: I will never forget the moment he poisoned that planet. And I was like going, where's the reset button? What are they how are they gonna, right. how are they gonna redo that? Because obviously the captain of the of Deep Space Nine, no, the Defiant is not gonna poison. Oh, wait, yes, he did. He poisoned a planet. This is a game changer. Wow, that's an awesome pick. Awesome pick. What do you think of that, Dan? I I love Eddington. I I
4: love to hate Eddington. Yeah. Um, the the whole scene, I forget the episode, I don't know if it was for the uniform or pre or one prior, where Cisco realizes everything's been building to this and, and realizes that it's Eddington. It's just great, great storytelling right there. And yes, the whole poisoning of the planet—he kind of falls off his chair a couple times, doesn't he, during <laughs> during these things with poisoning a planet and an accessory to murder and and uh, during the Dominion War. Come on, Cisco, Bill—that's a horrible pick, dude. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: is he a yeah. being with seven lives? No. <laughs> <laughs> what
3: Dan, I can't wait to hear your all Janeway
1: list. Uh, bring it on. By the way, another key point is this is not just about those three episodes. You know, they had, they brought Eddington in as the security chief for a whole right. season. He was right. there, and, uh, you know, being around and being the, the goody two shoes. And then, boom, all of a sudden, yeah, it's a great pick. And you didn't expect it at all. That was one of the great things. It's like, what? Didn't see it coming at all. Absolutely not. So, all right, Dan, what's your number five pick?
4: All right, my number five uh, epic arc would be Noah. Um, all those animal. oh wait a minute. Sorry, wrong show. Let's get that. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> the number five epic arc for me is Section 31. Uh, five-word description would be most intense black ops organization ever. Uh, and I believe that the episode that best describes this arc would have to be Inter Arma Inum Sealant Legus. Uh, Which kind of goes in line with my hashtag In times of war, the law falls silent
5: Let's just say I belong to another branch of Starfleet Intelligence Our official designation is Section 31 Never heard of it We keep a low profile Works out better that way for all concerned And what does Section 31 do? Apart from kidnapping Starfleet officers We search out and identify potential dangers to the Federation. And once identified? We deal with them. How? Quietly. So if I had been a Dominion agent, what would have happened to me? We wouldn't be standing here having this conversation. Starfleet sanctions what you're doing? We don't submit reports or ask approval for specific operations, if that's what you mean. We are an autonomous department. Authorized by whom? Section 31 was part of the original Starfleet Charter. But that was 200 years ago. Are you telling me you've been working on your own ever since? Without specific orders? Accountable to nobody but yourselves? You make it sound so ominous.
4: For me, whoever thought up Section 31 on DS9 is just a, a genius, pure and simple genius. It opened up so many dark doors in Star Trek that we would never have seen had Gene still been alive. Um, the, the, whole, the whole idea that the Federation isn't just all puppies and unicorns um, and that these people are ruthless and deceitful. Uh, and they'll stop at nothing to what they call protect the Federation was just an, an incredible idea. Um, and a perfect example of that is they were willing to commit genocide against the founders, and it was a brilliant, brilliant arc.
1: Yeah, the thing I love about this arc is that it's not just about the, the 10 episodes or so that, that Section 31 it, – it actually allows this uh, unbelievable ability to retcon. And you can oh, – now, yes. you, now you go back and you're like, oh, yeah, well, Admiral Dougherty in Insurrection, definitely Section 31. No question oh, wow. about that. Or uh, it, or Admiral Cartwright in Star Trek Six definitely Section 31. And not so only that, that, we actually got to see the beginnings
4: of Section 31 in Enterprise, in Divergence, um, and Divergence, yes. and even in the Kelvin timeline with Admiral Marcus. It was just – it was great to have that spin that you could put on just about anything when you're going back with Retcon. Very good point, Jim.
1: No, I love that. How about you, Bill? Is that uh, the big Section 31 guy? (laughs) I I love Section 31.
3: I love the fact that we can create a hashtag out of this with hashtag puppies and unicorns. Um, I think that's fantastic. Great job, Dan. As usual, that's what I expect from you. But uh, no, Dan's spot on the money. I mean, Section 31 brought so much depth into an already layered series with Deep Space Nine. And I love, like you said, Jim, that we get to retcon all kinds of things going, well, was this person 31? What about this guy? What about yeah. this woman? You know, um, just so, so broad and so sweeping. And I think we've really just touched the surface of it in Star Trek.
1: I agree. I mean, Malcolm is Malcolm Reed is Section 31. He was a Section 31 agent. That's pretty cool. That's uh, that's some good writing there. And we, and a, and great arc in terms of how it links with the other Trek including Kelvin timeline, so. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I mean, the start, this is round five, and we've already got Eddington in section 31. This is phenomenal. Okay, my uh, number five pick, and this is one that I'm going to start with one I think that doesn't get a lot of respect, so it's definitely one of my favorite arcs in terms of how it was was executed, but full disclosure, I'm I'm halfway picking it just because I want to rant about it a little bit and take some shot at the haters. And we just mentioned the Kelvin Timeline, and that is where my pick is coming from. I'm calling it the Kelvin Timeline Kirk Maturation Arc. Wow. And I, and I really love the way that when you look back now at Chris Pine's Captain Kirk across all three movies, you have this complete development into the Kirk that we know and love. So my, uh, let's see, my my five words in a hashtag is join Starfleet on a dare. Hashtag, is that what you believe, James T? Which is the great quote from uh, from Jayla when uh, when they were debating their plan in Star Trek Beyond, which is the uh, episode slash film that I'm choosing to represent this arc. So, it, and for me, breaking it down, in Trek 09, you've got people, you know, they were – Kirk was this petulant jerk and he's not the Kirk we know, but of course his dad died on the day he was born and it affected his development in obviously a different way than the prime Kirk. And th- I love the way the fate and destiny and that uh, was portrayed in that first movie where it d- didn't matter kind of the upbringing all these guys were going to end up in the same place. And then, and in the darkness, it was the same thing. It was like, oh, they made him the captain. I mean, how is this? He hasn't done enough. He doesn't deserve that. Okay, well, at the start in the darkness, they literally take the captaincy away from him because he didn't deserve it and he wasn't good enough yet, and he wasn't ready for it. And I love that little bit more development in terms of just uh making that the crux of that film that he that he wasn't ready and that he was just rushing into stuff, whether it was Nibir- Nibiru or. uh or Khan on, on chrono So, and then in Beyond, which is one of the best Star Trek films ever, you have this perfectly introspective Kirk, who's really now echoing, I think the best of the, of Prime Kirk and, and the performance from Chris Pine for me. in that film is actually the best of all the, the actors in, uh, in terms of achieving their character in, in the three films. I thought he, he held that movie together and it was all, it was just seeing Kirk. It was amazing to me to see, uh, that come together, the Kirk that we've known for 50 years. So that's my Kirk uh, Kirk pitch. And I just get sick of the people that kind of bash the way uh, Kirk was represented in those films. Thoughts?
3: I, I think it's, uh, I think you've, you know, defended your, your pick incredibly passionately. I agree with you. I think there is great character development in the Kelvin movies. You know, uh, people will, will complain and say that, you know, they're, they're essentially just action movies, but if you scratch, you know, past that and and take a look at what they've actually done with some of these characters there are layers and there's a lot of nuance and i think chris pine has done a a pretty wonderful job of creating a kirk that is different but still incredibly recognizable and i think you're right i think beyond is the best of those movies and it shows a kirk closest to the one that that we have grown to love over the last 50 years
4: i got to agree with that also jim that's a great pick we we with the Kelvin timeline, we actually get to see something that we haven't seen before, is we get to watch Kirk grow up in front of our eyes. I mean, in the first movie, he was hitting on Uhura the night before he decided to, uh, just on a dare, go join Starfleet. Um, he's just a a, a young a country farm boy, as Uhura put it. And then, and then in Into Darkness, we get to see that he's in command, he has a father figure in Pike who he loses right in front of him, and that affects him greatly. And then in Beyond, he is the captain, and he has the respect of the crew, and he's the more- more down to earth captain that we might be used to looking back on what he was like, uh, in the, uh, 09 film. It's, it's a very, very big step ahead from what we were used to in that first movie.
1: Yeah. I just like the way they brought it all together across. You can't, you can't really watch the first film or the second film and say that you've seen the whole story. I mean, they really bridged the three together like one big, uh, Kirk arc, which is, I guess, what the topic is. And great point, Dan. I'm bringing up the, you know, losing uh, Pike right in front of him. Another, another mm. key element to, to his development. Okay. Round five is in the books. Let's move on to round four. Bill, what do you got?
3: Let's see. And in, in the number four spot, I have Worf's Honor or lack thereof for my big arc. And I think that's best exemplified by TNG season four, episode 26. One of your favorite episodes, Jim. Redemption, Woo-hoo! five words. I return your family honor. Hashtag, let your name be spoken once again. You know, Worf languishes for, you know, the better part of a season and a half with no honor. And it comes up all the time because they keep meeting the Klingons. And you can tell that, you know, Worf is, Worf's not in a good way. And by the time he gets to this part of his arc, and his family honor is restored. It's the only thing he's wanted. It's what brings him the most satisfaction. And bless, he gets to get all Klingon on everybody. So granted, it's a time of great conflict for the Empire, but he does the only thing he can and and eventually goes back to his Klingon heritage to defend their way of life. Um, uh, Redemption, you know, Jim, after we had you on, on Trek Geeks, I realized that I, I haven't given that episode enough love, and I went back and watched it, and I think that a lot of the points you've brought up about why it's ranked so highly on Trek Ranks are are 100 valid. It's a great story. It's a great arc for Worf, and I think that um, it's some of the best work that Dorn does on the series.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I love hearing that. I think it's uh, it's the first time. I mean, when they show the the layers of the politics and the what's actually happening on Klingon, it's really fascinating to me how how uh, well executed that is. And the Worf honor story that it's really one of the first big arcs that Trek ever did where, it, where where when you realize it was all linking together which is one of the reasons I love Redemption so much cuz it links all the way back to season 3 and then sins of the father and then reunion sister grace and it and it carries forward from that point too so it's not like it ends in Redemption so yeah. that's an awesome pick thanks
4: yeah i got to agree i i kind of was worried there bill when you started with the word wharf i thought you were going to say something like wharf's raising of alexander arc cuz that would have just been i would have hung up <laughs>
3: But Wharf <laughs> skating Deanna Troy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh. sorry.
1: I, uh... I like that Oh, do you? I do. I wow. love him in Deanna. That was great. Okay. Shut up, people. Uh... <laughs> I, <laughs> I, ship, think what's I great ship about everybody. I ship everybody. Whatever. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> I think what's great about the Wharf honor story is that it also carries in and has a great effect in Deep Space Nine in the later seasons with the war with the Klingons and later how his entire house ends up getting stripped and Kern ends up suffering because of he decides to stick with the Federation. So from with Worf in Next Generation all the way up through Deep Space Nine, he's got that constant struggle with his honor and what he's supposed to do and what's what what's right and what's wrong. And, uh, and Dorn does do a great job. We're not all fans of a lot of the Klingon stories a lot of the times, but Dorn really seems to hit it at the right time when it needs to be uh, done correctly.
1: No, I'm glad you brought up Kern because I mean that was on my Klingon episode list, Sons of Moe. Because to me, that story is it's heavy. It just really hits hard. Where he literally ends up. I mean, he's, he's trying to kill himself, and right. Worf act, tries to help him, but then ends up deciding to just erase his memory and have him live as a farmer. I mean, that's deep, heavy stuff. That mm. was. Uh, that's a great pick. Love. I love Worf. He's in, uh, pretty sure he's in my top 10 character, character ranks at Trek ranks. Check it out. Okay. Dan, what's your number four pick?
4: Okay. For my number four pick, I went with Odo's consequences for killing a changeling. Um, five word description. Odo kills and is punished. And my hashtag would be no changeling had ever harmed another, um, (laughs) For me, starting with the adversary when he actually killed the Changeling on the Defiant, all the way through his punishment of becoming a solid and broken Link, and then all the way through his becoming a Changeling again in the Begotten, you know, this arc masterfully shows to me how Odo struggles with losing his abilities. And it's done so much better than when Deanna Troy loses her abilities in TNG. Um one thing that stands out, it's not the episode I picked, but in Apocalypse Rising, when he's assigned to be part of the infiltration party and is going to be done up like a Klingon, he tells Sisko that he, what he should be is Gowron's pet Targ. Um, and it shows that he's really struggling with not being able to shapeshift. Um, but the episode that I chose for this arc is actually The Ascent. Um, and ah, i choose that yes. one not just because you know it's it's a it's not just a quark odo episode to me um this episode shows the extremes of odo losing those abilities you know he's cold he's hungry he snaps his leg like a twig and ultimately he just wants to be left on the side of the cliff to die um and it, it really shows his struggle um so i picked the ascent for that particular arc which i absolutely love the, the ascent is one of the best ds9 episodes also i think too
1: uh it's so underrated and i mean inspired arc inspired episode pick who is our showrunner here why did it take so long to get the trek geeks on this show i don't know <laughs> this I, we, is, should, that we was
3: should fire him
1: unbelievable God. all they uh, do is fight on that show anyway so i know yeah, it's jerks. A, yeah we try to stay away from that here uh spectacular <laughs> pick i hadn't even thought of the odo arc uh as a as a uh, killing a changeling arc, um, Dan, uh, Bill, what do you think? What, what's your comments on this?
3: You know, uh, Dan, you you brought up the ascent as as not just an Odo Quark episode, but I, I would submit that it's the Odo Quark episode mm. because there's yeah. so many layers of that episode, and you really get the sense that that despite all their bickering and despite the the you know Roadrunner Coyote relationship you know that they seem to have over the years quark really cares about odo and and this episode really forces a lot of that out you, you see the bond between these two characters and how you almost can't really have one without the other and i think it's that's just a fantastic
1: pick buddy thanks man so good so good okay so let's so my number four pick actually it's a little it touches a little bit on on your guys's uh two preceding picks here so I think, we, you know, Bill, you just mentioned everyone knows my love for redemption in TNG with the layers of Klingon intrigue that that, that story has. But I, I really didn't want to pick that episode again. So I I changed it up a little bit as I was breaking it down. So my number four pick is the Gowron arc, which for me – so he was in – he's only in 11 episodes, which, which actually blew me away. Really? Wow. And, I know, I, I couldn't believe that. So my my episode for Gowron, I'll explain why I picked him, is Way of the Warrior. My five words and a hashtag is, which, again, you were just talking about uh, on your uh, on your pick there, Dan, Klingon leader Gowron is a changeling. Hashtag, nope, not quite Odo. And my reason for picking Gowron is I just love the way he he represents the Klingon thread all the way through TNG and DS9. He intersects with everything. And he's there right from the beginning, you know, with Reunion and Duras and Kalar. And when he, when he's first introduced, you really don't know what this guy's story is and can he be trusted or is he a good guy or a bad guy? And that is there throughout all of his appearances. And I, and I love that in Redemption, he's obviously pure Klingon and is dealing with everything. Well, and he's in there. he's also in rightful heir, which he's dealing with Kalis when he's coming back mm-hmm. he- He's also there for some comic relief relief in uh, House of Arc. Mm-hmm. But then he's the heart of everything with the Klingon war in in uh, in d s nine and way of the warrior, but also that being replaced by a changing thing, which of course it turns out it wasn't him and but his uh, his terrible leadership as a military leader and getting killed by Worf at the very end and attacking into the, into the winds. I just love every time Gowron pops in, there's just something big going on with, with Trek and he's interacting with so many major characters, Picard, Worf, Martok, Cisco, everybody. And you just never knew where you stood with Gowron. He was always kind of just protecting his own interests as, as a Klingon. And, I, I love Robert O'Reilly and his uh, portrayal of him, so uh, I, I chose Gowron because I just thought it was a really interesting thread all the way through TNG and DS9 and some of those those great stories. Consider what you do here, Gowron.
5: Kalas himself said, destroying an empire to win a war is no victory. And ending a battle to save an empire is no defeat. We can still win! Not before those starships get here. Now, what do you want me to tell them? To stand down or to come in firing? It is we who shall stand down. Arr, that's all Enough. Cease fire! Order our ships in Cardassian territory to halt their advance. I do not intend to hand victory to the Dominion. But let your people know. The Klingon Empire will remember what has happened here. You have sided against us in battle, and this... We do not forgive. or forget.
4: What do you think? I uh, I I have one thing to say about that pick, Jim.
5: Glory to you and your
1: ark. <laughs> Oh, I knew that was coming. So oh, awesome.
3: man, I did too. But it just it sort of snuck up on you like a garden <laughs> rake. You know what I mean?
4: I will say one thing you, you brought up. You brought up a point that I wanted to to uh, to get your opinion on. And that is how his character ultimately dies and how he is in those last couple of episodes. And I kind of was disappointed of how that route went. He turned into just like this, like nut in regards to how. He was going to have Klingon honor above everything else. And, and as someone who was a soldier but then became more of a politician, it seemed that his way of thinking was just really, really wacky. And I kind of didn't really like that vibe that that uh, that particular end of the storyline
1: uh, gave. Does I mean, that make I sense? Could, I, I understand that. I, but I think it was consistent with how he was in TNG. I mean even in uh, – even it was, he was always – Worried about uh, even in Redemption, where he was kind of like, there's always a deal in place when he was working on something. Whether trying to get Kern on board with, with war for getting back his, his uh, honor, he was. He, I don't know. The guy was just inconsistent across the board in terms of you just never knew where you stood with the guy. Very and at the end, he was just a jealous bastard who wasn't going to let Martok get the credit. He right. was going to set him up and make him look bad. But it's not. It's not an unfair comment. It was probably. It was probably. A little rushed and maybe extreme for the the storytelling needs that they needed there at the end of season seven. Bill, what's well, your take?
3: Well, and keep in mind too that Garon was like the good pick, right? So it was him or Duras. Right. right? right. And so right. so Garon was the good option. So you can only imagine what Duros <laughs> would have been like. You know, back then I used to, you know, back in the nineties, I used to refer to Garon as crazy eyes. And I think that as time went on, the writer started to write with that in mind, because Gowron just got crazier and crazier. And I think it's, it's probably a case of power corrupting. Absolutely. To some extent, you know, in the end, Gowron couldn't help who he was, which is essentially a a power hungry megalomaniac. Um, and you know, he was going to meet that end one way or another. It just happened to be from wharf. Um, and I, I think that was really the best way to do it.
1: Yeah. I could not say it better myself. I think that power hungry megalomaniac is, is what it was. And maybe a little bit extreme at the end there, Dan, but, I think I I feel like it was true to him. So
3: I
4: I think one of the greatest performances uh, from Galron was when he was playing the counter in the count room in bada bang bada bang. Yes.
1: Oh that's yes. right. That's right. <laughs> and uh, what role did he have in Far Beyond the Stars? He was in the back of the newsroom doing something. I can't remember. So okay. really, I
3: don't remember him being no, in No, no, he he's in that too, right? I'm almost maybe, sure. Uh, maybe we'll save that for Stump the Geek.
1: Uh, oh, that a good question. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, let's jump into the soup round. Round three, Bill, what's your first pick there?
3: Oh, my God, I love soup. So soup round. So for my pick, I pick wonton soup. It, <laughs> it, my five words are the best all-around soup. Hashtag heaven in my mouth.
1: Salty. Oh, wait.
3: <laughs> I'm not supposed to actually rank soup?
1: No, the soup round is a metaphor. Oh, for what? I have no idea.
3: Okay. So anyway,
1: <laughs> my
3: actual number three pick, um, I, let's see. So far I've hit DS9, I've hit TNG. I'm going to go all the way back to Enterprise for this one. And I'm going to pick the Augment arc from Enterprise. Oh, that's um, so good. As evidenced by season four, episode six, the Augments. Uh, five words, great tie to the Eugenics Wars, hashtag callbacks all day long. You know, by the time we got to season four of Enterprise, there was a whole lot of fan love in that season. You know, there's all kinds of things that they threw out there because they pretty much knew this was going to be the last season, I think. And it's like, well, you know what? Let's shoot for the moon. Let's throw out all kinds of things that the fans are going to appreciate. At least that's the way it seemed to me. And I love that not only do we get heaping amounts of Brent Spiner in this, not only do we get references to Khan and you know genetic engineered humans, but we get a great story on top of it. It's an arc I love to watch. I love Enterprise. I love this arc. And uh, I feel good about this at number three. I got to say.
1: It's so, so rewatchable. Love that. What was it? What was the episode that you tied to it? The, was it oh, the augments? Sorry.
3: Yeah, it was the augments itself. Yeah. Okay,
1: perfect. Uh no, it's such a great such a rewatchable story and it and it works so well and again, if you're talking ARCs, you've got the zoom connection as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the way it plays into that and that and that was done so organically. That, I mean, it's easy to, to call things fan service, but that was just made sense. It just worked extremely well. I love love those three episodes. Love the, the actors they got and uh and the production values there. You so, know, the real
3: the really cool thing is that you know they they tie a whole bunch of Star Trek together. So this arc is like a confluence of mm. all kinds of other arcs, which is why I really like it.
1: Right. It's like yeah, whether it's Space Seed and Khan or uh or Soong and all the Data storylines. How about Absolutely. you, Dan?
4: I um I actually I love this arc as well. I love it for the Brent Spiner and the the Sung Data um continuity i thought that was just masterful and and one of my favorite scenes of that whole arc is the very beginning when we see him for the first time and he's in is it prison or a hospital i'm really not sure but he's just got reams and reams of papers of all kinds of things that he's that he's um working on and he talks about how they come in every couple of weeks and just throw it all away so he has to start <laughs> over again i thought that I'd, i love brent spiner in this in this arc it's he's he's brilliant
1: he really was he really was great i like the arc that came right after this one Okay, let's move <laughs> I wonder to, why? damn, what's your number three soup round pick? Well, my number three,
4: you know, it, it was funny when I was going through my list. This could have easily been my number one, as a matter of fact, and and you guys might be surprised. Um, my number three arc is just simply Damar. Uh, my, my five-word description is lowly soldier becomes Cardassia's savior. And my hashtag is resist, resist today, resist tomorrow, resist until the last Dominion soldier has been Mm -hmm. driven from our soil. That's a good hashtag. That's Um, awesome.
1: It's, you know, this is the perfect. My my hashtag is that this bastard killed the all, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) This to me
4: is a perfect full circle character.
5: It's Damar. It's Damar. He's alive. Citizens of Cardassia, hear me. The Dominion told you that the rebellion has been crushed. What you have seen here today proves that that is yet another lie. Our fight for freedom continues, but it will take place here in the streets. I call on Cardassians everywhere to rise up. Rise up and join me. I need you to be my army. If we stand together, nothing can oppose us. Yes. Freedom is ours for the taking. Freedom! 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 Freedom!
4: He was a soldier and a member of the occupation and he killed Bajorans. And then he is the leader of Cardassia and then he's a resistance fighter killing members of another occupation. It, it's really it's really amazing what he goes through and you see the wave of emotion over and over again of what he's doing. Um, for the episode that I picked for this arc it would have to be Strange Bedfellows and not just the episode but a very specific scene is the moment Damar throws his kanar against the mirror because he hates what he's seeing and he needs to stop the Dominion. Um, it's just awesome. There are so many other layers to this arc, um, how he feels about the Breen and his interactions with Weyun, his loyalty to, to Dukat, which brings up a question that we never got to see, is what would Damar have done if he knew what Dukat's plans were with the Pa Wraiths? It just blows my mind what that could have been like. But uh, I think he is a brilliant character. Casey Biggs, oh man, I love that guy. It was he just was perfect.
1: His portrayal is amazing, and in, I think it's in Strange Bedfellows. I get those opening three uh, episodes conflated when uh, when he tells Wayan, "Why don't you go talk to Worf again?" <laughs> <It's like laughs> one of the best lines in all of Star Trek. Just absolute <laughs> comedy uh bill what's your take on that i love this pick; it's phenomenal yeah
3: i, I guess it's okay <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think dan i i think you you state the case for damar really well i mean when damar first came on deep space nine i really didn't think much of him because i, I kind of felt he was like you know ducat's flunky to some extent Yeah, absolutely. but they really created a a, a really textured character with a lot of internal conflict. And as time went on, you get to see exactly what it did to him. And I think you picked the the perfect episode to highlight that. Um yeah, and ultimately he gets redemption really the only way he can after all that. Um yeah, it goes out in a blaze of glory and it's it's written just so perfectly. So it's a that's a good pick, buddy.
4: Thanks, man. The one thing uh, that let, was disappointing me, was I'm sorry, go ahead, Jim. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, one thing that was disappointing is we knew, it was, I think we knew it was going to happen, but it's really unfortunate that his character had to die. Um totally understand why, and he's mar- and he's martyred and so forth, but I really would have loved to see him survive and and see what he could have done with Garrick as rebuilding Cardassia after the war ended.
3: With Zial? Zee- oh, no way.
1: Oh, oh <laughs> un- unlucky, Zial. Listen, the th- one of the things I love about Damar's character, and again, why Deep Space Nine kind of is the standard for these kind of arcs and storytelling is his first appearance is it just as this guy standing in the background in Return to grace kind of firing the phasers and, and loading the, the weapons when, uh, yeah. when Kira and Ducat are kind of sorting out their issues on uh, that, that freighter. I mean, it's just brilliant that he's just, his background guy and he ends up being the leader of all of Cardassia. Absolutely amazing. The way, some of that stuff played out on D Space Nine. So awesome pick. Not one that I thought of, but I just I love it. Brilliant. Okay, who's up? I guess that's me. My number three. Woo! We got a duplicate. We what? have a duplicate alert. It's what? a straight up 100 percent duplicate section 31. That's and what my, I'm talking about. And my episode is season seven, Inter Arma, Enum Silent Legion. <laughs> Brilliant. Double dupe. We actually got a duplicate. It is awesome. I I mean, same thing. Oh, let me see my five words and a hashtag are the ultimate retconning device. Hashtag. I blame section 31 for everything. I love doing it. It's, it's really a fun thing to do. Um, And I, I I gotta be honest. I tried to keep this off my list and I thought maybe it was a little bit of an obvious pick, but I just couldn't. It's just, uh, it's just great the way it was. I mean, you, we said it all before, Dan, the creation of it was so brilliant to layer it in there as kind of the federation. I mean, they already had the obsidian order and the Tal Shiar. And so all of a sudden now, Oh, the federation has one of these too, like section 31. What the, what the heck is this? So, and, and, you know, connecting it with enterprise and affliction and divergence. And I said it before, Malcolm Reed is actually a section 31 agent from his past and Admiral Marcus and, the way you can, you know, blame everything on Section Thirty-One, I I love it. I love the storytelling device, and I love the way it syncs with uh, track across, you know, all of these Phase Nine Enterprise and even the Kelvin timeline. Any more thoughts, guys? I was just thinking just before you made that pick. Wow, we might get through this without any dupes.
3: It's like you know the <laughs> words were still in my head, and I was wrong. And <laughs> I think it's fantastic. I, I could never have guessed that the two of you would have come up with that. Great job, man.
4: Yeah, it, I mean, I've already said, I think everything that I can say about uh, about um, Section 31. But one thing I did not say earlier and would love to say with your pick, Jim, good pick, by the way, buddy, is Section 31 would not have been as enjoyable for me to watch and really start thinking about if it wasn't for the amazing performance that William Sadler did as Sloan. He was... Yep. So great to watch. He was so devious. He was funny. Um, He was, he looked like he was, you know, you know, a little bit nuts and you never knew what was going to happen. He, he was great. I love section 31. There's a series of novels as well about section 31, which are really good too.
1: Yeah. The, the costume design too on William Sadler was amazing. I mean, this Mm. looks like a, this looks like a fascist. (laughs) <laughs> okay, let's move to round two. Bill, what is your number two epic arc?
3: My number two epic arc is pretty epic. I'm not going to lie, and it's one that affected Star Trek fans um, for quite a while. And it is the death and life of Mr. Spock in Star Trek's two, three, and four. Yes. To exemplify that, I've chosen Star Trek: Four, The Voyage Home. Five words. Not the hell your whales. Hashtag recovering from being dead ain't easy, but it can be funny. You know, they found the perfect way to reintroduce Spock and to reacclimate Spock after just the, the gut-wrenching death in Star Trek II and then the, the sort of new beginning in Star Trek Three. And I think that in four they gave Spock a new challenge. You know, um, you, you've got to learn how to live again for real, you know, not just getting used to things, but you, you've done what nobody else in Star Trek has done and uh, you've got to find your way again. And so it's a, it's a bit of a relearning process for fans and for Spock himself. So it's one that uh, will always stay with me. The 35th anniversary screening of Khan just last week was was gut-wrenching again all over, but um, it's it's probably one of my all-time favorite arcs in Star Trek. Me too.
1: Yeah, it's a superb pick. It was on my short list, and I'm really glad you picked it because for me it's like, also when you talk about this it's like the trilogy out of nowhere because you don't really i mean i remember you know watching these movies in the theater and at the end of voyage home it's not like i thought whoa i just i just saw a trilogy it just didn't feel like a trilogy until you were able to step back and kind of look at it and go oh you know those yeah. three movies sync together as three parts that you you didn't really see coming so that, that's a I love that element of those three films. They're all great. The Voyage Home is my number one uh, all-time film on Trek ranks movie list. So, uh, awesome pick. How about you uh Dan, what do you think? I
4: mean, Bill, you're a genius anytime you pick Spock for anything. It's it's not a bad <laughs> thing. So, that's a that's a great choice. You know what's weird though, is as you were giving your description, Bill, I was thinking about Star Trek 2, II, 3, and 4. But then all of a sudden what popped in my mind was um Star Trek Beyond and how we lost the real Spock Leonard a couple years ago and that scene in Beyond where he's looking at his at the picture of the crew and it makes it makes you think about what they went through in the prime universe so it's it's still kind of tough to think about but yeah that that 2 3 and 4 I mean I can't remember how devastated i was when spock died in star trek 2 and you're right jim i didn't think of it as a trilogy either until much much later
1: yeah i think uh it was just kind of sneaks up on you. and you bill you kind of encapsulated it perfectly by saying the voyage home is such a brilliant way to reintroduce spock you know it's just there's no drama it's just real simple and it's, it's just the, the humor everything about that works
3: well, you know, he's he, Spock is the soul of Star Trek. You know, there's no Star Trek without Spock. There's no Star Trek yeah. without Nimoy. And you know, to do something that you know serious to a character, you've got to really find a, a new and creative way to sort of get out of that box. And it, it serves as a great reintroduction to everything, not just you know our, our own <laughs> our own time timeline because they go back to the 1980s. But you know, Spock figured out you know, he's he's got to figure out how to time travel slingshot around the sun again. He's got to figure out how to just, you know, deal with other aliens, you know. Um, It's a great fish-out-of-water story for Spock, no pun intended.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was funny. That was funny. (laughs) That was good. Uh, They're not fish. Okay, (laughs) let's go to Dan's number two pick. What do you got?
4: Well, number two pick for me, anybody who listens to Trek Geeks knows that this is a big one for me, and my number two epic arc spans just about every series except Voyager Um, and that's the Mirror Universe Um, a ruthless alternate reality exists hashtag the looking glass is pretty damn scary Um, to me because it spans such a great timeline this this is an ultimate arc you know it starts during Enterprise and goes all the way up through Deep Space Nine and there are so many twists and turns that take place and the entire idea that the uprising of the empire and the um, taking over by and and having an empress was because of a non mirror episode of TOS when the Defiant went yes. back in time and into another dimension in the mirror universe. I, 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 I mean, my it's, mind's blowing up right now just thinking about it. You, um, you, you can't arc any better than that arc. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's so uh, great. It's just incredible, and and seeing how um, humans are the ultimate rulers, and then they're overthrown by the Klingons and Cardassians, and then by the time we get to DS9, the humans are starting that rebellion a la Star Wars a little bit. It's just great, and the ruthlessness of the characters. A lot of people don't like that ruthlessness. I remember – uh, Andy Robinson saying he did not like the mirror universe character of Garrick because it was just so evil and, and, and crazy. I thought that was one of the coolest parts about the mirror universe is you never knew what you were going to get with any one particular character. Um, so to wrap it up, I, I should pick mirror mirror because it was the classic TOS that introduced us to the mirror universe, but I'm not actually choosing that one. Instead, I'm going to pick deep space nine season fours shattered mirror, where Cisco has to work on the Mirror Defiant to fight against Regent Wharf and the Klingon-Cardassian alliance. Um, also, Jennifer dies again, and we get to see Garrick uh, being led around the bridge of the Klingon warship like a dog with a collar on. So um, there's a whole bunch of everything in that episode, and I just love it.
1: I love that you brought up the Tholian web part of this, because it's another link into oh. the arc. And I've said this before, but I mean, I literally, when I was watching In A Mirror Darkly, it literally fell out of my chair at the end of Episode one, when they, when you realize that was the Defiant from the Tholium web, I mean, I'm on the floor like agape, staring at the TV. I cannot believe they're making that connection. It's, ah, I love it. And, and you to think, if yeah. that didn't
4: happen, if that starship didn't go through that dimensional portal or whatnot what would the mirror universe have ever been like? Would the humans still have ruled or would there have been an empress, an emperor? It just, there's so many different possibilities that you can think of. If that one incident that wasn't mirror universe related didn't happen.
1: Yeah. I love that. I actually did a poll once on my Twitter and I got about a hundred and some odd responses. It was, is in a mirror, darkly a, a prequel to mirror mirror, or is it a sequel to the Tholian web? And the votes were literally 50-50 because that's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's both of those things. It's a piece of brilliance. So how about you, Bill? What's your take on the Mirror Universe?
3: You know, I'm only surprised this wasn't Dan's number one pick, knowing how big of a mm. Mirror Universe fanboy he is. I think it's a great pick. Although um, I will say, uh, I'm going to confess, I know we love all things Star Trek on Trek Ranks. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not right. my favorite Mirror episode, actually. Um, I, I appreciate that that Dan picked it, and I, I love that... You know, uh, that he's able to tie that into his pick. But uh, Mirror Universe, I always forget about the Enterprise part, but now I need to go back and watch it. So, y- oh, yay.
4: Know. Do Other it. Other than it's... a horrible CGI gorn, it's a really
2: good episode. <laughs> <That's whatever>. And <laughs> ah, the deck plating. Why did you have to bring up the CGI don't, gorn? Don't bring up the gorn, <laughs> oh, Jeff. Oh, my God. You made me, you made me unmute and the... actually
1: talk. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. uh, I knew I knew Oops. that was coming. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's fair comment. Okay, I am moving into my number two pick, which we got a theme going here on this episode, which we'll talk about in the stats at the end. But my number two pick is, is the Dominion Invasion arc, it, the eight episodes across the end of season five through the first six episodes of season six. And my episode that I'm picking to represent that is Rocks and Shoals, which is an all-time great episode of Star Trek, number five at, at Trek Ranks. And my five words in a hashtag are Trek's first truly serialized storytelling, hashtag basically one eight-hour episode. And the way, you know, this is it. I mean, there's arcs before this, but this is the this is the true birth of serialized storytelling on Trek where it's just one continuous story just episode flowing in into episode and i love the way rocks and shoals starts with them in the middle of this battle on this ship which by the way is a ship that connects back to another episode the, the ship um and it ends when they're still on the planet and you just assuming they're going to get uh picked up because they've killed all these are and they're not they're not showing you all the pieces they're just it's just this one stream of consciousness across these. Uh, these episodes with uh, so much going on with the founders, Dukat, Damar, Kira, Odo, all on the station. And then Cisco and Dax and Nog and Admiral Ross and everything going off, off the station. So it, for me, it starts within the cards, goes through uh, Call to arms and time to stand and finishes up with obviously the classics favor, the bold and sacrifice of angels. I love the dominion invasion arc. It's pretty much uh hard to beat so comments dan i'm pretty sure you like that pig that's all right
4: yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah i mean what's not to love about the dominion we actually did a whole episode of Trek Geeks on the dominion uh a, a year or so ago and it's 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 a uh, it's it's brutal the dominion is brutal and i don't want to say too much about it because i have a sneaking suspicion we'll be talking about it again yeah. in just Might a few talk minutes
1: about it so. again all right bill what about you bill <laughs>
3: You know, I, I think the only thing that surprised me about your pick, Jim, is that I my pick would have been the ship, and I love rocks and shoals. So, I uh, I, I think you couldn't have gone wrong with either episode. Um, the ship I, for me is one of my top ten DS Nine
1: episodes of all time. I love that episode. I I, I always remember that episode because I was so mad at myself at the end. And I'm like, of course it was a changeling that was on the ship. How did I not see that? <laughs> did you? Did you guys? I didn't, Just for some reason, that never occurred to me. So, I I thought
3: that. You know, there was something that they just hadn't found. It never dawned to me it would be a shapeshifter. Um,
1: yeah, me too. It should have, but... Yeah, right. Amazing. <laughs> All right. What All uh, right, let's move to round one, since I think we're going to be talking about that again. Bill, what's your number one Star Trek epic arc? Well, Jim, my number one Star Trek epic arc
3: is, is certainly epic to me. I'm sorry you don't think this pick is particularly tight, <laughs> calling back to the beginning of this here episode of Trek Ranks. But my number one pick is Benjamin Sisko's journey as the emissary.
1: Oh my god, I love that! I love that. <laughs> and I, and again, hold on before you even go. Yeah, that was just me when I looked at. It, I was like ah, it's too broad. I'm not. I'm gonna narrow. But as I said at the end, if either of you picked it, that's awesome. As a Trek Ranks is all about. Go, Bill. Well, you know, so it is incredibly
3: broad, but it's also, I think, the most sweeping character arc in all of Star Trek, and certainly of all the captains. You know, all the captains grow and change to some extent, but Benjamin Sisko completely changes from episode one to episode 176 or whatever number it is. And um, the, the episode I chose was season seven, episode 26, What You Leave Behind, five words, a sacrifice like no other, hashtag maybe a year, maybe yesterday, but I will be back.
5: We are of Bajor. Go on. They are linear.
0: It limits them.
5: They do not understand. But we want to understand. That's why we're here. You saved his life. Why?
0: He was injured.
5: We kept him with us so that I would be spared the occupation, so that I could bring the Djaras back to Bajor. Is that true? Is that what you want? The Djaras are part of what the Cisco would call the past.
0: The Cisco taught us that for you, what was can never be again.
5: If the Djaras belong in the past, why did you send me into the future? For the Cisco. You're saying that he's your emissary. He is the Sisko. Why? Why do you stay here? Because I still have questions. We are of Bajor. What does that mean? You are of Bajor.
3: I found a lot to take out of Benjamin Sisko's journey, whether it was as a father, as a Starfleet officer, or just as a, a, as a man who, who finds out in the end that, you know, his entire upbringing was essentially not what he thought it was. You know, when he finds out he's essentially a descendant of aliens in a wormhole. Um, and, uh, he's also the, you know, the only captain at the end of the series that doesn't continue on with the ship boldly going. And I thought that that was really kind of different. You know, when DS9 had its finale, that really kind of stunned me. And it made me go back and think about Cisco. And I, I really think that, you know, it's it really is a sacrifice like no other captain makes when he essentially takes out Dukat in the fire caves and essentially elevates himself back to where he's really from. So that's that pick may not be tight, but it's pretty epic, man.
1: No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be tight. It Can be whatever you want it to be. <laughs> uh, let me comment here, Dan. Then, I'll, then I'll let you jump in. So sure. I love, I love this because I was. So I'm not. I mean, I'm not. I, I mean, I'll say it. I really don't care. People tune out or or rip me for it. Okay. I'm not a religious guy. I don't like religion. I don't, I, mean, I don't like. I don't like organized religion at all. I think it's disgusting. So having said that, this story arc was really interesting to me. The way he was being portrayed. And that realization about halfway through where he was like, I think it was pretty much in the episode Ascension, where you realize he's embracing it and realizes he's gonna miss it if it's gone and that he really is the guy. When When I realized that that's where they were going with this, that he was actually the emissary and not just the guy they were claiming to be the emissary, which you, again, don't think you're gonna see on Star Trek. Right. Blew me away. Blew me away the way they weave that into the story, and you realize that that spiritual aspect of it, although it's aliens, um, was going to be part of this captain's whole story. That just amazingly different and original, and it's why Deep Space Nine again is a standard bearer for Trek, and, and in my eyes. So, Dan, what do you think? Well, it's. I
4: mean, I can't argue with the pick. I mean, it's it's brilliant. I mean, Cisco was born from one of these wormhole aliens. I mean, his entire life and destiny were set in course set in motion years and years and years ago and watch it unfold in this final, you know, especially the final season, but during the entire run of the series is just, is just a beautiful thing to watch. And he, he has so many sacrifices in his career and, and in his life and, and, and has to make tough decisions. But I mean, you know, Nobody could have pulled it off better than Avery, that's for sure. And um I think it's a stellar pick, man. I think it's absolutely wonderful. I mean it, it's Cisco. I mean, what else can be said? The Cisco.
3: The Cisco.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if I had picked this, I would have picked Ascension. Cause I just that I think it's just amazing the way they turn the tables on that, where you realize this other guy's a a phony. Um but what you leave behind this I mean, it's such a great point, Bill, about the fact that he's the only captain that's not going boldly with his ship at the end of the series. We well, hadn't know, thought he, about that.
3: He comes full circle, you know, at the yeah. end of this series. You know, he's, he's really the only captain who kind of does. He starts off as a man who is just, he's decimated by, you know, the death of his wife, you know, at, at Wolf 359. He's not yeah. the same. And it changes him. And so he goes to this space station and he discovers, you know, what he doesn't know at the time is his real journey. And at the end, he's found his happiness. He's found his life. You know, he's found Cassidy. They're going to have a child together. You know, he's, he's, he's found who he is again after being lost in a way for so long. And I think it's, it's a beautiful evolution. And I think it's probably one of the best well-rounded characters in all of Star Trek.
1: But why do you exist here? (laughs) Okay. Exactly. Let's, Let's move on. Awesome. Awesome. This is what Trek ranks is all about. Okay, Dan, let's uh, match that with your number one pick. What do you got? All right.
4: Well, a lot of you, I mean, Bill mentioned it a moment ago. Mirror Universe could have easily been my number one because I love it so much. But I think there's only one thing that could top it. And, Jim, you just started talking about it a few minutes ago. Yep. Mine's a little bit more broad than yours. Um, it's not the Dominion invasion, and it's not the Dominion war, but it's just simply the Dominion. Um, mm-hmm. Five-word description, the ultimate evil and Trek. Um I have two hashtags, actually. Uh, The first hashtag is, The Dominion has endured for over 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust.
1: Slow clap, slow clap, slow clap, slow clap, right now. Genius. Let's hear number two. I love it. Number two, the founders
4: are wise. You know... Uh, Anybody who's listened to Trek Geeks knows how important Deep Space Nine is to me and how much I love it. And as kind of odd as it might sound, The Dominion is one of the reasons why DS9 is the best series for me. You know, the writers took a chance on something. Um, and it worked and it worked so perfectly. They first mentioned the Dominion way back in season two's rules of acquisition, and then you hear them one or two more times, and then of course, you see them in the episode The Gem Hadar, and it really showed us that the Federation was in trouble. Um, and then of course, you know, comes the war. It just perhaps for me, and I think everybody on the show here tonight has said it, this is the greatest episode arc ever, maybe not just in Trek, but in television. Um, There's so many memorable moments. There's so much death associated with the dominion. Um, Their principles and beliefs are something that, you know, the Federation would never even think of having. And it's, it's, it's great television to watch Um, the structure of the founders and the Vordas and the Jem'Hadar, and they're all so ruthless in their own unique ways um, uh, it, it was it was really hard guys for me to choose just I'm one dying. episode.
1: I'm dying to hear what the <laughs> one episode is cuz it's so big. I yeah, it remember.
4: is. It's so big, but I got to say Jim, what is it? We have another we have another one. We we oh both chose God. the same episode.
1: Oh God, uh I went
4: this? with and Rocks and Shoals. Rocks and Shoals. Yep, be- because for me it shows how structured or maybe how faulty the Dominion really is. You know, the Jem'Hadar are willingly ready to give their life just because the Vorda said so, knowing that they're going to die. But they don't question it. You know, they were the Hadar, He was the Vorda. It was the order of things. And that's just that just sums it up right there.
1: Oh, third Clan, We love that guy. <laughs> we love that guy on Trek Ranks. Phil, what, what, what's your comments?
3: Yeah, I, I don't know how I can follow that up because that Good was – it was so perfectly stated. You know, I, I, one of the – to dial back to our to the diagnostic cycle for a second, one of the reasons that I'm so excited for Discovery is because it's not like Trek hasn't done arc-based storytelling before. It yep. just hasn't done it the way Discovery is going to do it. And I think a yep. Deep Space Nine is – has really kind of proven that not only can you tell compelling stories about war, but you can tell compelling stories in an arc-style fashion and have great Star Trek. And and I think that's one of the things that Dominion highlights most of all.
1: And that's one of the reasons we're doing this episode, because I know that you exactly summed it up, Bill. That's what we're going to see in Discovery, just a little bit different level of this type of arc storytelling. Not that we haven't seen it before, in track, as you've seen by the 14 picks thus far. Hey, so, Jim. Yeah. Um, one
4: other thing I wanted to throw in about The Dominion, which I find so great, and I wish this had been something that was solidified so it wait, could have been actual canon, but wait, I wanted was to the, bring was it up. It,
1: was it the Dosey? Because I know you love the Dosey. Nope. nope, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. No,
4: it was um, just let, just recently, Bill and I did our episode on Captive Pursuit. And yes. I'm not sure if it was Ira or one of the writers. Um, in an interview, we're talking about how the hunters were actually part of the Dominion and Tosks were bred similarly to Hadar for the – just to be hunted. And that would have been really cool if they had actually made that part of a storyline so that they could have been Dominion, but they didn't do it. So it's not official canon, but it would have been pretty neat.
1: No, that was a cool idea. I heard you guys talking about that. I'm not sure I'd ever heard that before, but it made perfect sense. So and I learned something new. I didn't know. Uh, I can't remember the actor's name now. Uh, but I didn't realize he was uh, the Q uh, Quinn from uh, from Death Wish. Same actor. In oh character. yeah, uh, sure. yes, Garrett Graham. Yeah. Garrett Graham. Yes, that was uh, that was cool. I think I knew it, but I didn't, I didn't. I didn't like click in my head, and I was like, "That was uh, that was a good point." Uh, okay, and that was an awesome episode. All right, so my number one pick. I swear to not do this just a needle you guys (laughs) (laughs) because i i i mean i i had my long list and this one it was originally like four and it just like it was the first one i did and it kept moving down and it ended up being number one because it's the one that just brings me so much joy i love this character i love uh her story arc i love the way they they did it. it no no no, it's not Akweo. It's not Sila, Don't worry. It is from Voyager, though. Oh, it no. Voyager arc. Oh, It is the Seska arc. Oh, and- oh and- I hate you. <laughs> oh, Seska. I love Seska. I love Seska. She's in 13 episodes. She's there from season one all the way to season seven. My episode to define her best is Worst Case Scenario, which is my number five all-time Voyager episode. So my five words in a hashtag is Seska will never give up. Hashtag recurring character perfection. And I think it's listen, It's one of the things that most, it just always surprised me And all the Trek was the way they just had this constant reinvention of her character. Every appearance just keeps you guessing. Storytelling with her was real smart, the way they connected it to Deep Space Nine's second skin with the fact that she's a, Um, well, listen, she's a, at one level, she's a a McKee malcontent, but nope. She's a traitor to everyone. And then she's a Bajoran. Nope. She's a Cardassian. She's got Chakotay's baby. Nope. It's not Chakotay's baby. She's dead. Nope. She's a hologram. She's really dead. Nope. She's smarter than the freaking temporal anomaly (laughs) in season seven shattered. I just love the way she kept coming back and the way they kept throwing her out there. I love Martha Hackett's, uh, portrayal and, uh, you know, full credit to Voyager. She she was authentically there and part of the ship from the very beginning. In the first few episodes, just as background character, and uh, that was before they you know started to carve out this crazy backstory. So it was really done organically well. And I and I I love I love me some Seska.
5: What are we doing in the brig? I have no idea. We haven't given the computer instructions to create a location
0: yet. Hello, Tuvok. I've been expecting you. If you can see me, you've obviously reopened the narrative parameters file of the tactical scenario you've been working on.
5: How do you know that? You're a hologram.
0: That's right. A holographic representation of Seska, one of the Maquis shipmates you betrayed. I would have thought all that time you spent spying on us might have given you a little more insight into the Maquis. But after looking over what you've already written, I can see you need a little help. So I've created this representation of myself. To guide you through the rest of the program.
3: There is no more programming.
0: There is now. I finished writing it for you. With a few revisions of my own. Revisions? To start with, the holodeck is now sealed. Your friends will find it very difficult to get you out of here. And the safety protocols are off. Which means, if I shoot you, and I am going to shoot you, you'll die. But not just yet. You've got ten seconds to run.
1: So uh, have at it, boys. Have at it. Trek ranks. We love Star Trek on Trek I, ranks.
3: I love Suska. You know, I, yes. I haven't seen all of Voyager, which is a you know something I, I concede to all the time. But um, I, I'm gonna. Uh, there may be a secondary systems discussion about this for me in, in a little in a little bit here. But uh, Martha Hackett is is probably one of the the best recurring you know, actresses to come through Star Trek, you know, in all time because she just, she kills it every time she's on.
4: Yeah, we Thomas. are now taking um, reservations for Jim Warhouse's replacement on the next episode <laughs> of Trek Geeks or
2: Discovering Trek. So please give us a call. No. <laughs> well, allow me to volunteer myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff.
4: It, it's funny. Uh, it's I funny. a as great soon as you Jim started impression, giving... by the way. <laughs> as soon as you started giving a description, Jim, I knew where you were going and I'm like, oh God, please don't. Oh God, please don't. And the reason I think I I I think that it is a great pick, I will say that. I think the reason it's like, oh my God, is because I just hate her so much because she's so twisted and evil in Voyager. Um, and she got together with ugh, Majkala, for God's sake. I mean, love Majkala. Uh, uh martha hackett is brilliant um i think one of the things that i dislike about seska is when she goes all cardi on us she's really psycho scary looking um but uh wow what a whoa
1: dude we gotta talk she she (laughs) is evil but i love to hate her i love to hate her and i love the way they reinvent her every time so so
3: is the real takeaway here that jeff hates seska
1: no, I don't hate this. I just hate Jim's
2: picks. No, I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> that hurts. All right. Okay. So let's uh, let's break down some secondary system picks then. So Bill, what do you got on your uh, on your long list? Anything? Uh, I've
3: got three of them. Um, the the aforementioned Seska arc. Uh, I, I do love how she kept coming in and out of Voyager, and I think my favorite Seska episode has to be State of Flux. Um, j- just because I. I don't know. It's it's one of the Voyager episodes. It's early on. It's like episode 11 in the first season. But I just I really enjoy that one. And Maybe it's because there's soup in there. I'm not really sure. <laughs> um,
1: I also I have love the, that. Uh, that was my I was I was trying to debate between worst case scenario and state of flux. Those were my two. Uh, nice. So that's that's fantastic. Good job, Bill. What were you going to say? Keep going. I also have uh, the Changeling
3: infiltration of Earth and Deep Space Nine's Homefront and Paradise Lost. Uh, it's a small arc, but, man, it's one I love to rewatch over and over and over. And then um, I promise this is not uh, kissing up to the host, but on my secondary systems list is the Vulcan arc in Enterprise with the Forge, Awakening, and Kirshara. Um, it is probably, I think, one of the more watchable arcs in Enterprise, and it's just a, a story that's told really well. There's some scrub on the on the Enterprise that likes to fire phasers. He you know, He could use some work, but other than that, the episode's really solid.
1: I hear those episodes are pretty good. Uh, I've heard rumors. <laughs> ass. Uh, love, that. love it. Love it. Uh, Dan, any, uh, any secondary systems you want to throw? Yeah,
4: I, I've got three as well. Um, and I'll tell you one, this first one could have easily been in the top five and that's Ducat and the paw rates. um, Mark Alimo is Dukat. Uh, I've said it many times before. Dukat is my favorite Star Trek villain ever. Hands down, nobody even comes close to me. Um, so to not have him in my top five epic arc was surprising. But that storyline of him in the paw race and what he wants to do uh, to get back at the Bajorans is, is, is really, really good stuff. Um, I also chose the Deep Space Nine Klingon War. Uh, I remember when um, it was on TV, and over the summer they would have commercials for, you know, Deep Space Nine's coming back, and they would have the Klingon emblem would jump out on screen, and and it would be like a warp uh, starscape behind the the emblem, and it was just like, oh my God, the Klingons are going to be back. It's going to be great. Uh, I thought that whole arc was awesome, and I actually. Uh, similar to one of Bill's picks, I chose Worf's discommodation as one of my final um, secondary systems. Um, what he sacrifices and what he did—he da- basically lies to cover another lie—and I thought that was that was a uh, pretty good writing in itself.
1: There, that's uh, those are those are great extra picks. And the—I mean—the Worf one I kind of had too, with my Galron was kind of covering everything. I had that on my uh, extended list too, and I had a couple others like that were mentioned. Uh, I definitely had. Uh, the movie, the original series, movie trilogy, uh, Khan, Search for Spock, and the Voyage Home. I had the Eddington arc that was so hard to cut. I had that on my on my long list. But my other ones I wanted to mention really quick. I had a, I had a Nobrantane and Lawn Suter. Love those guys. Nice. Uh, they're their really good. I had the Circle trilogy was hard to not include because that's really the first three parter in the history of Trek and it's done so well love those uh those three episodes at the beginning of season two and then i also had the menagerie and the cage because i thought that really it set the stage for continuity integration and trek right from the very beginning where it's like, i mean i just can't even imagine watching that in 1966 <laughs> and seeing this these other clips from what what is this other show i mean they did they shoot a whole nother series <laughs> this is it was so well done and i love uh the way those uh, episodes connect. So all right, lots of uh lots of epic arcs indeed, some amazing trek moments. I think
2: you know, Jim, Jim, I, I, I'm 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 kinda heartbroken here. I you know, I you guys I respect you all for being such incredible Trek fans and so knowledgeable, but no one mentioned the Cyrano Jones arc.
3: <laughs> oh man, <laughs> here we go. I was looking Guys. at all. I was looking at all the dance picks, and they're all Deep Space Nine. So, I mean, I, I'm glad I at least mixed it up a little bit. I didn't get any Tos in there. Mm, actually, well, I did with Spock, I suppose. Mm, but no, uh, I
1: gotta, no. I gotta argue
4: with you a little bit about that,
1: dude.
3: But no, no Deep, Deep Space uh, Nine touches all of your picks, is what I'm saying. Well, oh, it does touch in, all of them. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, let's jump into the regents so like right now because I got the stats. So we'll skip okay. the uh, the seven and nine drop, and let's just do it. So, actually, let's do the the recaps here. So, Bill, run down your five picks really quick. Absolutely. In my number
3: five spot, I have the Eddington versus Cisco arc. Uh, number four, I have Worf's Honor or Lack Thereof. Uh, number three, after my wonton soup, I have the Augment arc from Enterprise. <laughs> number two is the death and life of Mr. Spock as exemplified in Star Trek's Two, Three, and Four. And number one is Benjamin Cisco's journey as the emissary in Deep Space Nine.
1: So uh, give your hashtag again for your wonton soup. Oh, it was uh, hashtag heaven in my mouth. Yeah, we just wanted to have that on tape again so we can (laughs) drop that. Okay. Uh, Dan, Dan, what are your your five picks? All right.
4: Coming in at number five is section 31. Number four is Odo's Consequences for Killing a Changeling. Number three is Damar. Number two is the Mirror Universe. And number one is the Dominion.
1: All right, and my five were the Kirk maturation arc from the Kelvin timeline, Star Trek Beyond, Gowron's arc uh, across TNG and Deep Space Nine with Way of the Warrior represented, Section 31, Inner Armor, Silent Legis, the Dominion Invasion arc, which uh, was my way of kind of narrowing down a Dominion pick with Rocks and Shoals, and then my number one arc was the Seska arc from Voyager. And now, so let's break down those stats because you were just saying that, Bill. So Dan did pick all five D Space Nine episodes, which hey, no judgments at Trek. Yeah, right. no, that's, I fantastic. Think that's fantastic. Absolutely. But here's what here's what I love about these stats. This is a crazy, crazy number. So well, first we had two duplicates, which is uh, cool. too, at least in terms of the uh, the episode picks. But we had that was. Uh, Inner Arma, and then also Rocks and Shoals, me and Dan picking the same. But the numbers, DS9, so Voyager had one, Enterprise had one, TNG had one, the Kelvin timeline had one, the original series had one, and DS9 had 10 picks. That's pretty amazing. So every other incarnation had one pick, and DS9 had 10 and that's, I guess that's not too surprising if you really look at the way Deep Space Nine told their their story across uh, their seven seasons, which was really arc-heavy.
3: Absolutely. I, I think that um, I, I'm surprised I, I didn't have more Deep Space Nine because I am such a Deep Space Nine fan. Um, but uh, I I love that it, it permeated a lot of these picks. But I, I also like the the other picks that came in from the other um series whether it was the kelvin timeline or whether it was voyager i thought there was some really great stuff here
1: yeah i this might be the first episode that's had all six incarnations with at least one pick ironically they all had one pick except for ds9 so Mm. pretty cool any comments there dan before we end up
4: oh i definitely agree i think it's great that deep space nine was heavily represented i mean it's we talked about how it's it started the arc the whole idea of the arc um but I want to say, uh, Jeff, I'm going to I'm going to throw out a special, um, you know, it would be nice to see if Ted Sullivan is listening. Dude, you got to get Cyrano Jones in Discovery. OK, oh, man. There. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think I got something started right now.
2: Yeah. Well, we got Harry Mudd already. <laughs> it only exactly. Include Her- Cyrano Jones. Would pop up Harry
4: Mudd and Cyrano Jones in the same episode.
2: Oh, my God. Wow. I, I think the universe would explode. <laughs> I, I hate, know I'm hate
1: exploding. To, hate to break it to you guys, but uh, hate to break it to you guys, but Ted Sullivan is not listening to Trek <laughs> so oh, not we're on, so maybe he is. Oh, <laughs> oh maybe because you guys. All right, all right. Track gates <laughs> are here. The whole world's listening now. <laughs> all right. Okay, those are uh, some epic picks, but of course, as it happens every week, we've once again entered a temporal causality loop. But so before we can depart, it's time to hear from you. Ooh.
5: Enterprise has been caught up in a temporal causality loop, and I suspect that something similar may have happened to you.
1: All right, this week's temporal causality loop choice is actually a no-brainer, and I love that we we heard this pick. So our list this week is of course flashing back to our previous episode, which is also celebrating Discovery. That was our top five Klingon episodes, and we heard back from the Klingon of the hour as it relates right now to Discovery. I'm not sure if everyone's aware, I think you, you guys all are, but you guys all know the, the backstory here about uh, I think it's Cove who is at Canada Aviatrix on Twitter. You guys yes. know about this? So yes. she's basically mm-hmm. this huge tech fan who's an authority on the Klingon language, lives in Canada. Obviously, fully versed and speaks Klingon. And she revealed about a month ago, or maybe maybe a little longer, that she was contacted by the producers of Discovery and has been translating and working with the writers and cast on all things related to the Klingon language for season one of Discovery, which is just about the coolest thing ever that she learned to speak Klingon and is now working uh, on Trek's return to TV. So so cool. Uh, it's just unbelievable I I literally, I tweeted the other day I can't wait to see her story on a behind the scenes feature on the Blu-ray when season one comes out because I just love this story so she sent in her top five list of uh, Klingon episodes which I love she she did it in chronological order so she had uh, the original series Errand of Mercy TNG's A Matter of Honor TNG's The Emissary Kalar we all love Kalar Deep Space Nine's Blood Oath, and Deep Space Nine's Way of the Warrior. So I love that we heard from her on her Klingon list. Very cool. And, uh, yeah, we just keep going deeper and deeper today on our Discovery uh, Celebration episode. So that's more than enough to uh, pull us out of the temporal causality loop. So thanks again for everybody. Just keep sending your uh, your tweets and uh, all your, your lists to us. We want to hear from you. It makes our show better. And, you know, if you want to call in, do it. We've got our number at the tricorder transmission, 609-512-5527. That's 609-512-LLAP. Call us and tell us your top five epic arcs for this uh, this week's show. And uh, hopefully we can feature you on the next episode of Trek Ranks, which so this is a surprise before we were going to do two episodes of Discovery, but then it hit me. We can actually do a third episode to continue our Discovery celebration. And I think so. By the time we record that episode, we're actually going to be in a new era of Star Trek. We're going to have a new series on TV or streaming, whatever. Um, so Discovery rank is going to be you know, part of the conversation moving forward with uh, with our next episode. So in that episode, what we're going to do, we're going to change up the format a little bit, and we are going to break down all of Trek's first episodes. So basically, we're going to have a panel on. We're going to talk in depth about TOS, which really has three first episodes. So uh, we're going to talk about all three of those. And then, and by the way, that's for those scoring at home, The Cage, Where No Man Has Gone Before, and The Man Trap. And then we're going to talk about Encounter at Farpoint, emissary, caretaker and broken bow and whatever the title of the first episode of discovery is. And at the end we're all going to do a quick uh, rank of how we rank those episodes and how they appear. So uh so that's our that's our plan. It'll be a little different format but it's a way to integrate discovery right away into Trek ranks talk when it's on the air. So what do you guys think of that?
4: I think it's awesome. I mean it's just so exciting to be right on the edge of this new series uh, starting up. And it's kind of cool, Jim, that you're going to be doing that because if uh, if you look at the archive of the Trek Geeks, episode 31 is actually titled Encounter at the Emissary's Caretaker Cage at Broken Bow. So <laughs> no. that's kind of cool that you're doing that also. I'm, I, oh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of
1: impressed. I might have to dig back into that archive. I'm sure I heard that episode. That's hilarious. <laughs> so I figure this is a good way to... Uh, To keep just, you know, just get discovery involved right out of the gate. I love it. And we've got uh, our discovery ranks. I love it. All right. So uh, before we wrap it up, I want to give a huge thanks to the brilliant Bill Smith, the brilliant Dan Davidson of the Venerable Trek Geeks. You guys are awesome. Thanks for coming on finally. Thanks for clearing your schedule and getting on the show. And we've been trying forever.
3: (laughs) Well, you know, it was tough to come down from our throne, but uh, it's the least we can do. For, uh, for what,
2: what's, what's the name of the show again? What is, what is this? Hey, you guys really shrugged off the paparazzi for this.
3: <laughs> no, in all seriousness, we love both you guys. We, we love that everything that the, the, the tricorder transmissions is doing. And, uh, it's the very least we could do. We had so much fun and nobody cares what Dan thinks. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but I'm going to give my opinion anyway. Um, and all, like Bill said, in all seriousness, I got to tell you guys, I have been looking forward to this not only just this discussion of what we talked about tonight, but just being able to sit down with you guys on an episode of Trek ranks. I'm I'm not even, I'm not joking at all. It's so awesome to be here with you guys. Thank you very, very much for having us on. You'll never be on our show again, but if you want us to come back, we'll be more than happy to. No, no I must
1: Damn. come back. I must come. You must let me be back. Ouch. You guys are the best. It's, I appreciate all the kind words and it's really been, uh, been awesome to kind of dive into this show and, and learn from, from all three of you guys, because you guys are all super pros at the podcasting game. And I'm just trying to figure it out. Alright, so thanks again guys for uh, for joining us here on episode 11 of the Trek Ranks podcast. And as always, I want to close by saying, I'm looking forward to standing with you again here in this place where I belong.
2: Hi there, thanks again for listening. If you're cruising the galaxy looking for even more Trek talk, why not visit our good friends Bill and Dan over at TrekGeeks.com? They've got a great podcast that covers a wide range of Star Trek topics, so you're sure to find something you'll love. And if you're in the mood for some awesome tunes, then you really need to head over to FiveYearMission.net. The guys are writing a song for every episode of the original series, and each one is absolutely brilliant. So that's TrekGeeks.com and FiveYearMission.net. Check them out today.